Good morning. Everyone looks well this morning. You look healthy, well, well, well rested, well fed. Well, some of us are more well fed than others, but uh, it is. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. It's a pleasure to be able to uh, to speak to uh, what we call our home church, because uh, this is our home church. I was uh, I had was in mind earlier today that uh, a friend of mine says that uh, it takes three years for a person to assimilate into a church. Uh, if, you, if you have lived someplace and you move someplace else and you're trying to find that church that is just like your church, like, like the church that you left, and we all know that we can't find that, but um, that it takes three years in one spot before you start feeling at home. So a, a problem people have is they move someplace else, they try a church, and they're there for a couple of years, and they say, well, this isn't really quite what I was looking for, and so they go someplace else. Well, the three years starts over again. So it takes a while to get assimilated, but we've been here for just over two years, and uh, so just a little bit more, and you'll never get rid of it. So... <laughs> Uh, my assignment this morning, I was, I was uh, when I was asked to preach, I asked Bob what he'd like me to preach about, and uh, it, it, that's kind of cool. I've, uh, I've been uh, preaching for over 30 years, and it was always my responsibility to come up with the theme or, or what to preach about. So it was kind of nice being able to say, well, Bob, what would you like, to preach, like me to preach about? And... Uh, and he said, I'd, I'd like you to talk about family. And uh, I thought, well, that's kind of cool. It, family's a good, uh, a good Christian topic, and we should be able to do that. But, but then when I thought about it, I said, well, I, I think I need him to be a little bit more specific. What is it about family you want me to preach about? Is there any, is there any text or is there any, uh, any context that you want me to focus on? And he said, well, mentoring. Uh, you know, how, how, do, how do families mentor, and then how do the church partner with families for mentoring? So that's, that's kind of where we're going this morning. So that's, I, I, I tell you that now in case, uh, you know, the, the first service we discovered that I didn't manage my time well, and uh, they wanted me to finish before I was ready to finish. Uh, <laughs> cool thing is we don't have that problem this service. <clears throat> right? <laughs> but <laughs> I've I've never I've never done well having time constraints on, on sermons, but I I promise you'll be home long before the dog needs to be let out. <laughs> this morning we're we're going to use uh, as our text, we're going to use Deuteronomy six one through nine. And what I'd like you to do is in in the past and, and I, know it's, I know it's the practice here as well. In the past, I, I would typically, if I was going to use a, a, an extended piece of scripture, I'd put it on the screen for you. But it occurred to me that I'm taking all of, the, all of your opportunity out of it. So I would like you to open up your Bible, you know, so power up your phone or, or wherever you keep your Bible, or reach down uh, in front of you. There should be a Bible sitting in a rack in front of you. And open that up, open to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. 
And Deuteronomy's in the, in the front of the Bible. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So it's the fifth book. So it's real close to the front, sixth chapter. And uh, if you look at that, this is going to be kind of our jumping off spot for the morning. Everybody there? Everybody ready? All right, here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you. And, and this is Moses speaking this. So God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping his, all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is God's word to us this morning. Uh, before we go too much further, let's just consider some of the things that many of you will already know about this passage. If we look at, at verse 4, uh, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Uh, this is called the Shema. This is a, this is a prayer that uh, a good Jewish person in Jesus' day, would pray twice a day. This is why uh, when Jesus was asked uh, what was the greatest commandment, his first response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. He did that because this was part of the culture that he was raised in. This was the way that Jews of his day labored to uh, live by the word of God. Also in the, in the end of that, at, at verse 8, where it says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on your door frames and, and uh, of your houses and on your gates. Uh, it was also a practice where they would make what they called phylacteries, which was a little box, and in that box they would take little pieces of uh, of, I'll call it paper because I can't think of the right name, but they would write um, they would write a scripture verse or some scripture verses on that, and they would put them in those boxes, and they would take those little boxes and they would, with ribbon, they would tie them around their foreheads, so they're binding them on their foreheads, and they would tie them to their wrists so that it was there. And again, this was their effort to live out this command of God that he had given them to always keep these things before them. The, the uh, heart of this passage, though, I believe, is where it says 
in verse 7, impress them upon your children. This is what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do that, uh, we had asked some of the kids of Cornerstone to help us know what a family is. Hi, my name is Ellie, and family means to me sharing stuff and giving other people stuff, and um, I and going outside is very fun, and I love my family. My name is Ava, and family means love and sharing. Hi, my name is Eli, and family means to me is playing and, and worshiping together. My name is Isaiah, and family means to me is giving, loving, spending time together, and and loving God. Pretty spot on for, uh, for youngsters. This morning, we're going to talk about the perfect family. Now, I just, I figured to do this and fulfill this, I would just tell you about my family. Um, <laughs> but we're not the perfect family. Uh, I did not come from the perfect family. I don't have the perfect family, and I didn't raise the perfect family. So uh, we're, just, we're just not going to be able to use my family for the illustrations that I need. I was having a conversation earlier this, or this past week with a, a young man that I know, I've known for probably 15, 20 years. And uh, this young man was called ministry when he was real little, and he has been avoiding it or running away from it all of his life. And just in the past few years, probably within the last three or four years, he's quit running and he's looking to, uh, to fulfill this calling to, to serve God. Now, Nathaniel has uh, a beautiful wife, has two small children, and as I was talking to him, he was, ta he was telling me about his frustrations of having to work to provide for his family when he really wants to be in ministry. You know, he would, he would rather be serving in a church. He would rather be doing something other than working in a factory. And what I believe was the Holy Spirit nudged me, and I communicated to Nathaniel that Right now, his calling to ministry was to love his wife and raise his kids. There is nothing that we can do that will be more effective in serving the kingdom of God than loving our spouse and raising our kids. As a matter of fact, I believe that the role of the family is to raise the next generation of those who will love and serve God. I mean, that's, that's what we're here for. You know, we may, we may do different things. We may run companies. We may, uh, we may uh, serve in all kinds of fields, the medical field or the educational field. We may have very complex lives, but the most important responsibility we have, the primary role that God has given us is to raise up a generation of people who will love and serve God. Now, it is the role of the church to support the family and help fill in the gaps. You know, I, I grew up in a day and an age where um, 
the raising of the family in, in, in terms of, in terms of uh, instilling education and values in them was surrendered to other organizations. Uh, I know when I, when I got big enough to ride the school bus, I was sent off to school, and they were charged with my education. I, I really admire the families, so many of the families today where, where the, the parents take the primary role for teaching their children. I, I admire that. I know that it's not something everybody can do, but I do admire it. But I know when I was, when I was growing up, the responsibility of teaching us was pretty much surrendered to somebody else. And when it came to morals, well, that's why we were taken to church. You know, the, we, were, we were taken to church so that the church could instill in us uh, the morals and the values that we needed. But we got that backwards in that it is the, the home's primary role to educate kids and to instill a morality within them. And then it's the church's role to come alongside and assist in that. Now, if, 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 if you've come this morning looking for real deep theology, uh, you're, you're probably going to be disappointed. Uh, the, I, I tried doing the, deep theology early in my, early in my Christian experience, and um, you know, I would, I would craft sermons that had big words and lofty thoughts, and, and when I would see glaze, you know? You know, glaze is good on donuts and ham, but, but in eyes, it's, it's, not, it's not a healthy thing. So I'm, I'm a simple guy, and what I offer to you is simply a simple understanding of what God has called us to be. Now, the first comment that I would make this morning, or the, the first principle that I want us to kind of wrap our minds around, is, is the simple concept that God loves people. Uh, years ago, there was a, a, a chorus that said, God loves people more than anything. And that is biblical truth. God loves people. He loves all ages. He loves young, old. He loves pre-birth to post-death. He loves all ages. He loves all sizes. I, that is a wonderful thing for me to know, is, is that uh, no matter what my shape, God loves me. And I was sharing with the first, uh, the first service that uh, there, was, there was a church that I, uh, it was one of these mega churches, you know, so, so back in the day, back in my day, one of the mega churches that us pastors would look to with envy, you know, and then we would try to learn what they were doing so maybe we could do it too, and, and that, would, that would help us have the same kind of success. One of the, one of the churches that I was looking at and, and kind of following what they were doing, they had a, a restriction upon who they would let on the platform. If you were going to serve in that church, if you were going to be on staff, if you were going to be on the platform, whether a worship team or, or whatever role, you had to conform to a certain body type. And I looked at a friend of mine one day, and I says, we will never be on staff at that place because our body type didn't fit um, the parameters. I'm glad I belong to a church that 
isn't too concerned about body types. That there's a place for us plus size folks. There's a place for us minus, well, not us, but there's a place for those minus size folks. Uh, God loves all ages. He loves all sizes. He loves all genders. One of, our, one of the folks that is, is uh, vying for presidential nomination this year uh, was asked this last week, uh, how many genders were there? And his first response was three. I'm pretty sure, well, not just three, he said at least three. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to vote for that one. Because I can guarantee there's two. There's, there's boys and there's girls. And all of us fall somewhere in that spectrum. God loves all sizes, all, or all ages, all sizes, and all genders. Even though the world despises the weak, the flawed, the young, the old, the deficient, the abnormal, in God's economy, they're all valuable. So God loves people, and God redeems people. Now, when I was a kid, uh, when I was a kid, things were a lot different than today. The telephone was stationary in the house, right? You guys, you guys have had that. The TV had a screen that was maybe this big if you, had, if you had a big screen. And where I lived, you got two channels. When we were bored, we would go to Grandma's house. And uh, if we were bored, Grandma would pull out a shoebox. And in that shoebox was S&H green stamps. <laughs> Anybody remember those? All right. A lot of you do, some of you haven't a clue what I'm talking about. When Grandma would go to the supermarket and buy her groceries, for every dollar she spent, she would get a certain number of these little stamps. And I can't, I can't remember, it, it was like their, their, their value was like one-tenth of a cent or one-hundredth one of a tenth of a cent. They, they certainly weren't too valuable. But Grandma would pull out these box, this box of green stamps, and we would spend the afternoon sitting at the kitchen table with these little books, and we would wet these stamps down and glue them into the books so that Grandma could take those books to the redemption center and get whatever she needed, whether it be a toaster or an iron or an ironing board or uh, whatever it was she needed. The, the more books you had, the bigger item you could get. The interesting thing about that is the item that my grandma would get was something she had already paid for. Right? I mean, because when she made her purchases, she got stamps, and those stamps allowed her to take an item that had already been paid for. It had been redeemed, and she redeemed it. God redeems people. Scripture says, 
For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish. When Jesus Christ was sacrificed on that hill on Calvary, his blood redeemed every person who has ever been born. People from history past, people from history future, people in history present. Every single being that has ever drawn breath has been redeemed. Now, not every person lives as redeemed. We have an active role in that. We participate in our redemption. When God calls us, we can go with him or we can stay on the shelf in the redemption center and just stay there. But the price has already been paid. God loves people and God redeems people and God equips those who he's redeemed. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 6 and 7 says this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in everyone, it's the same God at work. But in all of them, and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation is given for the common good. For years, I've, I've, I've spoken about spiritual gifts, you know, and the, and the importance of spiritual gifts. And, and typically, when we teach about that, we go to where the lists of the gifts are, where it says uh, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be uh, preachers and teachers, uh, some to be, uh, uh, some for miracles, some for healing. And we get caught up in the expression of the gifts that's listed. But at the heart of it is this verse that says the Lord distributes gifts as he sees fit and for everyone who has been redeemed, for everyone who has confessed the name of Jesus Christ, for everyone who has been baptized into his death, and raised in his resurrection, and has received that gift of the Holy Spirit, there's an equipping that comes along that helps us do what God has planned for us to do, and that is raise up a generation who will love and serve him. Now, as parents or as adults, I say, I say parents because I want to speak to parents, but in that I want to include all adults because all parents should be adults and all adults have a responsibility. Our purpose or our, our, our setting is this. 
first and foremost, we love God. What was the first, first thing that God said to these folks that we read about this morning? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Loving God comes first. Uh, years ago, uh, Barbara and I were at a marriage encounter. Now, I'm, I don't know whether you know what a marriage encounter is, but it is a, it, it's a marriage retreat. And we had gotten there because the counselor that we were seeing at the time was convinced that our marriage was over and that we needed to do something before it was too late. So uh, upon that threat, I was encouraged to go to this marriage encounter, which was held in all places a convent. Um, so we went and we spent a weekend together at a convent. And in this, in this marriage encounter, there were sessions where uh, there, were, there were group settings and, and people would, or, or we'd have some kind of teaching together. And then there was a time for reflection where you went and you wrote stuff down. And then there was a, a time of interaction with your spouse where you talked about what you would reflect it on. And uh, it, I don't want to make light of it. it. I felt very uncomfortable there, but it was a good thing. One of the, one of the things that happened at this marriage encounter was that after a, after a time of interaction with Barbara, we came back to where the group met. And when we came into the room, there were some banners, uh, you know, kind of like, like the banner here. And um, I looked at the banner, and it said, love is a decision. Now, I had been, at, at that time, I had been antagonistic about Christianity because I thought my perception of Christianity was uh, it was a place where people uh, forsook reason and checked their brain at the door and fell into all of this emotion and foolishness, and I just didn't want to be any part of that. I, I didn't want to be a part of something where I had to surrender reason. I didn't want to be a part of something where I was simply driven by emotion. But when I saw this banner, a, a thought that occurred to me was, if love is a decision, then I can choose to love God, and I can choose to love Christ. And I will do that, because... It, I don't have to check reason at the door. I don't, I don't have to fall totally upon emotion. For me, this was, this was a pivotal, 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 it was a turning point <laughs> in my life. That's, if you're going to preach, you're going to have to have an instant thesaurus. But it was a turning point where I was able to say, I can love God, and if I can love God, if I can do that as a choice, I can choose to love my wife as well. See, we are to love God, and we are to love our spouse, husband, wife, whoever, which, whichever it be, we love God, we love our spouse. We submit to one another. Now, submission is, is one of those terms that I think is really confusing. Or, or it's not confusing, but I think it's been confused. Uh, I have a, I, we, we have a, a dog that at, in the evening when the TV gets shut off, 
the dog jumps up and races to the bedroom and throws herself down on my side of the bed. She, she wants to get there ahead of me, not on the bed, but on the floor by the bed. And so I come in, and when I come in, she's laying there, she's all stretched out, and I reach down and I scratch her, scratch her chest, and her legs go up in submission. And that's the image we have of submission, of, of surrendering complete control to someone else. But when we think about the biblical understanding of submission, it's not a matter of being a doormat. It's not a matter of letting somebody else make all the decisions. It's not a matter of you simply falling down and giving up and not taking an active role in things. But submission from a biblical understanding is taking every ounce of energy that you have, every, every element of intellect that you have, every strength that you have, and you use it to the best of your ability for the lifting up of the one that you're in partnership with. See, this is, this is submission, using all of, that, all of what I am for the purpose of someone else. See, this is what marriages are supposed to be. Marriages are never, you know, you guys know that marriages aren't supposed to be a 50-50 deal, right? I mean, you've heard that before. It's if, if we're in a marriage, we're all in. It's, it's all me, it's all them. And we, we, we invest ourselves in the betterment of one another, in the mutual edification of one another. So we're to do this, and then we're to raise our children. We're, we're to, the scripture says, train a child in the way that should go when they're old, they'll not depart from it. And all too often, I've, I've had the experience where people have said to me, well, my kids were in church every Sunday. Every time the doors were open, we made sure our kids were in church. We trained them up in the way they should go by taking them to church, but now they're 20 years old and they don't want anything to do with church. What's the deal? And my response to that is you misunderstand Scripture. Because Scripture doesn't say take your children to church and when they're old, they'll stay in church. But Scripture says train up a child in the way they should go, in, in the bent that they have, in the, in the gifts and the abilities and the nature that they are. And when they, were, when they are old, they will be secure in who they are. Our, we, we have two kids, uh, Jason and Jill. Uh, they, are, they are no longer children, but they're adults making their own mistakes. Um, Jason is, is, is an artistic, uh, well, he's artistic. He's, he's, he's a bit... Uh, I can't think of the word that, that I'm looking for, but he enjoys being by himself. When he was young, we got him a, an Instamatic, or not an Instamatic, uh, the, a little Polaroid camera. And the photography bug bit him. And that's been something that's been part of his life ever since then. He went to college, and, and he studied broadcasting. And... Um, 
he graduated, or he was through with college and he hasn't been in a radio station since then. But in him was this artistic bent, this, this way of viewing things. And when we began to nurture that, it began to blossom to where that it's still something that he is, it, he, he's still exercising it today. Jill, ever since Jill was little, she loved little kids. It, it was an amazing thing, thing to see a little kid love little kids. But from the time she was old enough to stand, she would be taking care of kids that were smaller than her. And when she came to maturity, she, she pursued being a uh, pediatric nurse. See, that is recognizing our kids, their particular bent, what, what, uh, the way the Lord has gifted and blessed them, and then nurture that so that they grow up so that when they become older, they are able to pursue that which God has gifted them for. And so celebrate him in the activities of their lives. So parents and adults, love God, love one another, submit to one another, raise your children, and contribute to the good of our community. Contribute to the good of your community, whatever community you are in. I, I, I love our congregation in that I see the folks of our congregation busy, uh, you know, about different parts of the community. Uh, we have one that's running for a school board position where she wants to be able to make a, uh, a difference there. Uh, we have some that are involved in the local uh, business world. Some of us are involved in uh, a community choir. Whatever your bent is, and when er wherever you can, labor, labor to utilize your influence to the good of the community. Now, as the church, we are to, so, so we've got the family. As the church, we are to pray for one another. Now, uh, back, in my, back in my younger days, I would have given you scripture references for everything that I talked about. But it occurred to me that by doing that, I'm taking the opportunity for you to check on, my, to check on what I talk about. Uh, so... If, if, if I talk about something and you wonder if it's biblical or not, we'll look it up. You know? and, and if it isn't, call me out on it. And, and not only if, if, if I'm wrong and you're right, not only will I agree with you, but I will publicly make it right. But I think, but I think what I'm telling you is biblical down to the core. Um, as... Ecclesia, as, as uh, next slide, please. Uh, as the church, and, and the term there is ecclesia, when, when uh, Jesus said to Peter, uh, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, the word he used there is ecclesia. So when I talk about church, I'm not talking about cornerstone, I'm not talking about 
Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterian, or anything like that. I'm talking about the redeemed people of God that he has raised up and equipped. So ask the ecclesia, we are to pray for one another. I, 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 I love our um, Facebook site because folks are posting prayer requests on there and, and then to see the response of so many people say, praying, 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 keeping you in prayer. Somebody writes out a prayer. It's, it's, it's a response where this is what we are to do. We are to pray for one another. We are to encourage one another or, or bring courage to one another. You know, we, we, have, a, we have a practice in our, in our culture of trash-talking, right? Where uh, we're always giving folks a hard time about something, and, and we trash-talk the folks we love. Like, you know, like, and, and because Robbie said it, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just pull from Robbie, you know. But Robbie, Robbie introduces me and says, I'm somebody you can't get rid of. Well, that's absolutely true. But you don't want to get rid of me. No, because I'm too pretty. Uh, that's, that's one of the ways we express love is, is by teasing one another. Uh, uh, something, uh, we, live, we live with uh, in the same house with our daughter and son-in-law and grandkids. Uh, they keep us in the basement. But one of the things that I was doing to my grandson, my, my, my grandson is a, is, is, is a bit like my son in that he's, he's a, a tad eccentric. That's, that's the term that I was looking for. And uh, so every once in a while, I would, I would come up and I would grab Owen and I would wrap my arms around him and I would squeeze. And I'm, I'm a pretty full-figured guy, and Owen is, is about like this. And uh, I'd wrap my arms around him, and I would tickle his neck, and I would, and I would squeeze him and hug him, and <coughs> and tell him, I spell love A N N O Y. And um, I did that for a while, and and then I said, Oh, and how do we spell love? And he had a completely different spelling for it. <laughs> and that was probably it. <laughs> and the thing that clicked for me is that while I was being annoying and obnoxious in jest, I was kind of being a jerk. Being a jerk doesn't get us where we want to go because we're trying to encourage one another. So now, when I walk through the room, love you, Owen. Love you, Dustin. Love you, Jill. Love you, Buzz. In an effort to sow positive strengthening into one another. We do that. We do that. This is a very encouraging congregation, by the way, so I'm, I'm going to give you a high mark today. We encourage one another. We spur one another on to good deeds. And, and spur there means exactly what you think it means. You know, you, 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 you think of the, 
you think of the cowboy on a horse with the pointy things on his heels, you know, that's a spur, and that is to nudge us forward. And we are to nudge one another forward in good works. Find what, it, 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 it's, a, it's a cool thing when you're doing something. At, uh, we, do a, uh, we do a dinner or a, a, a lunch for special needs folks once a month, part of the year. And uh, we're, we're always needing volunteers for that. We're always needing people that will come in and help. And it's really an easy thing to do because all you do is get ready for a meal, lay the meal before them, and then clean up afterwards. And it, it's, it's not a hard thing to do. And I'm always thrilled when I see people come and simply involve themselves in that. We have, as a matter of fact, we have lots of cool things that you can be involved in. We want to pray for one another, encourage one another, spur one another on to good works, forgive one another. Forgiveness is important, is it not? So we forgive one another. I use the Lord's Prayer as my, as my prayer guide every day, and there's a part of it that says, forgive my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Did I say that right? Forgive my sins as I forgive those who have sinned. Yeah, I said that right. And every time I pray that, I ask the Lord, is there somebody that I'm harboring unforgiveness for? Because you know what our unforgiveness is like? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. Unforgiveness eats you up and destroys relationships. And if we're here trying to build up a community of people that will love God and serve him, then there's really no place in it for harboring bad feelings against someone. So we forgive. And, and, and forgive, again, is an act of the will before it's an act of the emotion. So we forgive one another. We bear with one another. That means we're, we're patient. There's, an, there's a, 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 a word from older translations of Scripture that describes God as being long-suffering. Well, we're to be long-suffering with one another, to bear with one another, and to love one another. So some practical steps. I got to this point in the sermon this morning, and they told me my time was up. And I was disappointed because I think this is the important part of the message. So what are some practical steps that that we can take. First, be deliberate in our mentoring. In other words, have a plan. Moms and dads, I'm going to talk to you for just a second. Do you have a plan in mind that you're going to work or are working that instills in your children those truths about God that they're going to need for later on in life. Do you have a plan to do that? See, the, there, there's an old expression that says, uh, we don't plan to fail, we fail to plan. And it's important to have that. It's, it's, it's important to set in your mind what is, is, what is important for my kids to know. You know, I actually... I hadn't thought about this until just now, but I put together a book for my grandkids 
to teach them what I thought was critical and crucial about the Christian faith. I, there, there are seven things, and I, I think if they're solid in those seven things, they will be solid in their Christian faith. So do you have a plan? If you don't, make a plan. It, it's important. There's, there's power in a plan. Two, be generous, be genuine, and be appropriate in your affection. I, I speak to all kinds of people that have been raised in homes where folks thought it was, um, they, they weren't, they weren't, um, they weren't making their kids strong by doting over them. You know, so these folks grew up in places where there was never any touch, there was never any acknowledgement, there was never any real support. Kids just grew up. And touch is important. I'd, anytime I think about this, I think about Mark chapter 1, where there's some lepers that come towards Jesus. And in Jesus' day, uh, for those people that had leprosy, uh, they were to make their presence known among other people by shouting out, unclean, unclean. And when somebody would hear unclean, they would know enough to steer away from those people and, and don't go near them. Well, some lepers came towards Jesus. And Jesus touched them. He didn't avoid them. He didn't shun them. He didn't tell them to go someplace else. But he touched them. Touch is important. And not just touch, but appropriate touch. Um, Chloe must be someplace else. She's back there. I love kids. I love kids, and I grew up in a home where touch was abundant. I mean, if, if, if you were standing around a group of the women folk, I mean, you were, you were packed into... I, actually, I can remember the first time I ever came up against rayon. You know, back when it was stiff and, you know... So I'm, I'm that old that, that rayon was new. So I grew up around a lot of touch. And I know there, there's, there's some folks that have been coming and they've, they've got two teenage daughters... And one of them is very gregarious and affectionate, and the other one is very reserved. And I made the mistake of giving the reserved one a hug one day. You know, hey, how are you? And, and her eyes just got big. And it reminded me, our touch needs to be appropriate, and the person that defines appropriate is the person that we're looking at. But we are generous. We are uh, genuine and we're appropriate uh, in our affection. Build with your words. This is intentional blessing. Instead of teasing all the time. I mean, we, 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 there's a lot of times when we're trash-talking with people that we think we're being affectionate and playful. But words build and words destroy. Uh, somebody once told me it, it takes 
10 attaboys to get over one you jerk. One negative comment is harder to get over than, uh, well, it takes, it takes a lot of positive comments to offset the negative ones. Let's put it that way. So build with your words. My mom died probably about 12 years ago. And uh, my mom was a very affirming person, um, even when she probably shouldn't have been. Uh, but um, the last time I saw my mom, I walked into her room. She was in a nursing facility. And I walked into her room, and she was in pain, and she was uncomfortable. And from her bed, she looked at me and said, I'm proud of you. That's the last thing my mom ever said to me. But it's going to fuel me forever. Bless, bless your kids. Bless the kids around you. Bless the people around you. Why? Because God loves them. And they're co-laborers with you in this task that we have of raising up a generation of people that will love God and serve him. And then we celebrate milestones. You know, there's, there's different occasions in our lives where it is important that we celebrate, that we, that we, um, that we acknowledge, and, and that we uh, make a big deal out of them. You know, the, uh, a friend of mine uh, is a business consultant, and he was uh, working in Africa, Benin, Africa. Uh, their government had asked him to come over and, and do some of the stuff that we do with them. And so he had gone over there. He had taken one of our associates with him, and he had just gotten on the plane to head back to the States. Now, he knew that uh, shortly after he got back in the States, his oldest son was going to turn 13, and he had been exposed to a different culture, a culture where they make a big deal out of, out of folks, out of young people becoming adults. And Brian began to think about this, and he, says he, and he said to himself, you know, uh, in our culture, we really don't recognize people coming into adulthood. I mean, how, how do we record? They get a driver's license. You know, they graduate from high school. Uh, but but as as people we don't um, we don't do anything that helps young people know that they're no longer young people but they're part of the adult community. This last week um, we took our oldest grandson uh, out to to lunch. Uh, next week he goes off to college, and uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to him about was this whole time of transition going from being a high school person to being a grown-up and, and what that's going to be like. So Brian is on the plane. He's coming back. He's thinking about this whole idea that we don't, we don't acknowledge uh, adulthood or, or transition. And so he, he, he put in place a practice that he did for the rest of his family uh, of what he calls rites of passage. You know, in, in some cultures, there's this vision quest where, 
where the young, the young person goes out and spends the night in the wilderness by themselves or a week in the wilderness or, or it's time alone and they go out as a child and they come back and as, as an adult. Uh, the, the, uh, the Jewish culture has the bar mitzvah and I believe that there is a, a, the emphasis of that is recognizing that one was young but now they're part of the adult community with the adult responsibilities. I think this is what Paul was referring to in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, uh, I thought like a child, I spoke like a child, I acted like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. You know, I, I think that's part of what is said in that celebration. So, what are the milestones in the lives of folks around us that we can celebrate and when we come to those milestones, let's celebrate them. You know, one of the things we do in the church, which is an example of what, is, is when we have a baptism. You know, that, that, is a, that is a milestone and that's a celebration where publicly we announce that the old is gone, the new has come, and the church together celebrates that. What are some of the milestones in lives that we can celebrate? None of us has a perfect family. Let's just put that right out there. But together, we can encourage and form a generation that will bring glory to God. See, this thought occurs to me, that none of us have a perfect family. But together, we become a family in which God works perfectly. This is what we want to become. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to, to come and worship together with like-minded people. We thank you for, for the music and the song and the prayer, for the, the uh, sacraments. We thank you, Father, that we celebrate your word as we come to hear it to try to understand it. But Father, more than anything else, as we go, we want to live it. Father, thank you for your people that have come today. As we endeavor to recognize that you are who you are and your purpose is to raise up people who will love and celebrate you. We thank you for this today in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.